Today on the 1012 Podcast, Andy Mitz is back, and Brittany Rose joins us to recap Week 6 from around the Big 12, including Texas is good and so is Oklahoma. It's time to give West Virginia and Kansas some attention. A whole lot of teams who tried to give the game away, some successfully, others not. Baylor is down bad. Houston's down bad. Whose seat is hotter in the Big 12 and much more? This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference Plus. Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. Uh, we are the flagship show of the 1012 Network. Find every show on the network at 1012network.com. That's T E N, the number 12, the word network. And of course, we are partners with Sports Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network. The voice you hear right now, I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. We are here to recap the weekend that was. A weekend that we will name for you momentarily. When I say we, I am not alone. I am never, well, rarely alone. Joining me as he typically does on Mondays to recap the weekend. He is back after a week off. He is our Kansas blue-blooded, biased, Kansas State hating voice of Kansas. I don't know. I ran out of things to say. Andy Mitz. Now, wait a minute. I am probably the least biased I've ever been against K-State this year. I I had them ranked seventh in the preseason. Come on. Like, but no, it is good to be back actually after two weeks because I was out of town for one of them. And then I had um, a family situation to deal with last week. So it's, it's good to be back. I'm glad that I came back after a win instead of the awful second half. That was the Kansas Texas game down in Austin. So, yeah. Yeah, at a certain point, this all starts to run together a little bit. But uh, Andy, Fair. we did miss you. We did miss you, I promise. Uh, Jamie's still out this week, so no JSJ. In her place, we have one of the hosts of the 1012 Network's Twitter Live show. That is Big 12 After Dark. She is Brittany Rose, so we still have a little bit of Iowa State rep here. Brittany, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, very excited to have you here. Um, this should be fun. We've got a lot to get to. Before we start, remember, wherever you are listening, please do us a favor. Leave five stars and a review. It really does help the show. I wouldn't ask if it wasn't necessary. It, it really does help us out. If you are watching or listening on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe. Uh, we will have the Big 12 uh, special team show out on usually Wednesday. Sometimes it went out. I think it went out on Tuesday last week because I had it done and ready to go, so I launched it. Uh, but typically on Wednesday, out on YouTube. Recap the biggest special teams plays and just special teams in general in the Big 12 from the weekend before. It's been a great show so far. Looking forward to that one this week. Before we dive into the games, y'all, the Big 12 was aggressive in its promotion of the Red River rivalry this year. And I get it. I understand. This is one of the biggest rivalries in college football. It deserves attention. Okay? And I don't think the Big 12 has done a good enough job of promoting it over the past few years, for the past decade, Bob Bowlesby. But I don't think the Big 12 has done a particularly good job of promoting the Big 12 for the last decade until younger, hipper, cooler Brett Yormark showed up and took over as the head of the Big 12. So I understand it. They always, I mean, obviously want to promote it, but this year it was a lot. And I get it, again, 
This is the last time to promote that as a Big 12 game. And you had a marquee matchup with two ranked teams in Oklahoma and Texas. Texas having the year that they're having. Oklahoma was undefeated and having a great start to the year. And you got a game that delivered. We'll deliver more, dive more into that coming up. But... Look, the mixed messages that's coming out about how the conference feels about Oklahoma and Texas is a little bit confusing even to me at this point. Yes, Texas and Oklahoma fans need to calm the hell down when they complain about the Big 12 and Brett Yormark's comments in Lubbock about, I hope you're I'm there and you beat Texas. Texas and Oklahoma fans have been crying all over the place. They're going to try and cheat us. They're going to throw penalties. Boo, who, who? Y'all don't even want to be here. You've been griping about having to be in the Big 12 for the last three years, ever since it was announced you're going to the SEC. You don't want to be here anymore. You're ready to get out the door. Like, you can't have it both ways, okay? You can't complain that you're not getting treated fairly or not getting the attention you should or being talked about in one way while at the same time talking about the conference in the way they're talking about it. It doesn't work, okay? It doesn't. Okay, you've been trashing the conference for a while. I'm good with promoting Oklahoma and Texas while they're in conference. You're still in the Big 12. You still represent the Big 12. What you do this year is happening in the Big 12. It may, you can make jokes about we're already one foot out the door, but like it's happening in the Big 12, promote it. And I'm going to be perfectly fine if and when the Big 12 pushes both Oklahoma and Texas for the playoff, if both are sitting there at 11 and 1 and 12 and 0 when they meet in Arlington at the end of the year and saying like, we should get both these teams in the playoff because why wouldn't you? It helps the Big 12. But Big 12, Brett Yarmark, younger, hipper, cooler. I get all of that. Can we throw a little more attention to the darlings of the Big 12, Kansas and West Virginia? Kansas is back in the AP poll this week. They are ranked again, as they should be. I understand they had to fall out after they got their tails whipped by Texas. Fine. They've been a lot more generous to other programs who've looked a lot worse than Kansas has the rest of the season outside of the butt whooping by Texas. But well, I digress. I digress. I digress. I digress. West Virginia, look, I get it. They have not beaten anyone with a winning record so far. I do not care. They're still 4-1, and one and they should be a bigger story than something that we should be celebrating as the Big 12. Because also, if you're buying the whole, like, we need somebody to step up and knock Oklahoma or Texas out of the Big 12 championship game in Arlington come December, those are your two only options at this point, in my opinion, are West Virginia and Kansas. So, let's give them their due. We can still promote Oklahoma and Texas. They're top-ranked. They're playing very well. They're going to continue to play well. The likelihood of either of them losing two games the rest of the way is slim to none. But you can do two things at the same time. You can promote the two teams you'd like to see make the playoff for the Big 12 as Big 12 reps. You can also promote the two teams that you'd like to see potentially knock them off in some way so that we don't get a Red River back in Arlington. You can do both things because, frankly, you've been doing both things for the last few months anyways. I think it's perfectly fine to continue to do so. Well, I I think the thing that this... Big 12 is doing differently um, is they are finding whatever moments they can to crow about stuff, whether it's Oklahoma, Texas, or any of the other teams. In fact, I, I was in the, uh, the media room after the Kansas game. And one of the other guys like looked at the big 12 tweet after the Kansas game and was like, man, this is like the most, I guess, savage that they ha- can remember them ever being about one conference team beating another conference team. And I think that that's what the difference in strategy is here. Before, it used to be like a, you know, we're not going to make big, bold statements about teams and how they perform really well against the other teams in the conference because we don't want to make it seem like we're, you know, favoring teams or we don't want to make it like we don't want to put down other teams in order to prop up the ones that are at the top of the conference. But let's be honest, when when a team has a dominant performance, it's not a diss to say 
they had a dominant performance. Like it was extremely dominant in that particular performance. Like stating fact is not, I don't think, um, you know, being extra dismissive of the team that unfortunately was on the wrong side of that performance. So um, the big 12 has not done that very well at all. They are doing it extremely well. I think with a lot of the teams, they are celebrating big victories for, for, for teams. They are, you know, promoting great stats for different teams. I've seen way, like I've seen a ton of big 12 conference talking about, you know, Devin Neal's rushing averages and things like, like things that you wouldn't normally see. Big 12 conference is celebrating individual players. They are celebrating individual teams. I think, unfortunately, it's just kind of that dichotomy of while they are expanding that sort of approach, Oklahoma and Texas happen to be the two best teams right now in the Big 12. So it seems like maybe they're getting some beneficial treatment here, but it's really just because they're pushing the biggest stories in the Big 12 right now, which are Oklahoma and Texas being back in their last year in the Big 12. It kind of sucks that they decided to go ahead and do it now, but, you know, they are celebrating Kansas. They are celebrating West Virginia. They just you know, those aren't the two biggest stories right now in the conference. We can argue about whether they should be, but they're not the biggest stories nationally right now. I agree with you, but I also think, yeah, it's one of two things. It's, or it's both. One is that after Brett Yormark's comments, which I agree with 110%, um, they need to somewhat cover up the fact that they don't want to seem like they're slighting Texas and OU. So this kind of helps if they at least support them. And also, like you mentioned, they have been posting way more, at least to me. I see tweets all the time from the Big 12 Conference this year about everything. I mean, they post every single game. They post uh, weekly time slots for the games. I saw tons of stuff for the Red River Showdown. And, I mean, it's it's tough because, yeah, they are technically the two best teams right now. So I – and nobody – but nobody wants to see them, right? I think we can just post the show. Just post the post the fact they're playing, post the score at the end, and be done with it. I mean, I think anybody at either of those schools knows they're going to play. They know when they're going to play. I don't think we need to amp it up any more than usual. They're leaving us anyway at the end of the year. It will be interesting to see how the Big 12 continues to handle things moving forward. I do think they are way more active on social media. Again, they are trying to build a brand. I would argue that most of the Big 12 that will be here next year isn't doing them a lot of favors in trying to work around building that plan brand right now. Um, development cycles be what they are. But we'll see how the Big 12 continues to promote the conference moving forward. It's something I think is worth keeping an eye on. All right. We got some games to talk about. This weekend. This weekend. This weekend. I, 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 I find joy in trying to find a name for each weekend after it's done. We're calling this one, We Don't Want It Weekend. We don't want it. Because it's mistakes abound everywhere. Teams doing everything they can to ensure the other's victory. Sometimes two teams doing it against each other in the same game. Sometimes teams doing it and uh, the other team said, all right, thanks, we'll take this and run off with a W. Let's start with one of those games Friday night's Oklahoma State 29, Kansas State 21. Um, after Oklahoma State's win, Kansas State on Friday, the Cowboys have pulled off the upset in eight of their last nine games as a home underdog under Mike Gundy. I'm not going to use the cockroach uh, description, but I am going to say he's like a Twinkie after the uh, apocalypse. Like the atomic bomb goes off, Mike Gundy will still be there. I mean, Gundy was incredibly conservative throughout a large part of the second half of the game. At this point, he is just the uh, Aaron Paul 
scene from Breaking Bad going, he can't keep getting away with this. That's that GIF is what came to mind immediately. Um, Frankly, both teams did everything they could to help the other team win. Oklahoma State settled for field goals on six drives, making five of them, one of them with block. Uh, Kansas State had a shot to tie it at the end of this game, which given how well OSU's defense played in this game was an insult to their performance, uh, considering Oklahoma State's offensive play calling after the first two drives looked great was kind of what we expect from Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy. Uh, but again, Gundy wins another one going conservative. It it worked out for them. For Kansas State, three interceptions by Will Howard. Very bad performance, including a pick six. A fourth down attempt where the center snapped the ball when Will Howard wasn't ready, and so that fourth down didn't go anywhere. A turnover on downs on uh, Kansas State's side of the field. The defense stepped up, held Oklahoma State to a field goal like they did most tonight. And of course, going for two when Kicking the extra point would have put you down seven as opposed to being down eight and having to go for two the second time for some strange reason. It really is a game you come away from going like Kansas State shouldn't have even had a chance at the end of that game, but they did because Kansas State made a ton of mistakes, but Oklahoma State tried decided to be conservative and it worked off. Like At the end of the day, Oklahoma State gets a win. Kansas State suffers a really difficult loss, and I don't know that I feel good about OSU, but I don't feel as good about Kansas State sitting here right now. Yeah, I mean, my biggest question is what the heck happened to the rushing game for for Kansas State? Like, you know, DJ Giddens was supposed to be like the second coming of Deuce Vaughn from what I heard from a lot of Kansas State fans, and he struggled all night long. Like, it didn't seem to me like Oklahoma State was selling out on everything else to shut him down. It just seemed like he couldn't get going for whatever reason it was. And, you know, I mean... I, I actually understand the going for two on the first one because that's a big debate that goes along goes between a bunch of analytical people because the the thought process is that if you get the two point conversion on the first one, then you kick the extra point on the second one for the win. If you miss it, then you still have to get a successful two point conversion. But it's about knowing exactly what you need to do to try to put yourself in the best possible situation to win and avoid going to overtime. You can have that debate all you want about whether like where it actually makes sense and whether you really should be doing it. Maybe you can make the argument that it was a little too early in the game to try to be going that direction, but I don't know that I'm necessarily that concerned about it. But I think the thing that really kind of summed this game up for me was a tweet from our good friend, uh, I believe it was Parker Fleming, Stats of War over on Twitter, you know, calling uh, Mike Gundy. It's the Mike I made, or I'm as good, or sorry, I'm butchering it. It's Mike, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was Gundy. Because that's what this game felt like, right? This this felt like an Oklahoma State playing well above the expectation for them this year and how they're going to perform the rest of the year. It seems like they're good every year for one, like what the hell was that performance where they play really, really well. I, I don't know if that's going to be the only one this year. I'm kind of hoping it's not, you know, going to be back-to-back ones since Kansas plays Oklahoma State coming up. But I don't know that I saw enough from Oklahoma State to say that they're much, much better than I thought they were. They may not be the worst team in the Big 12, like like I thought they might have been, but, you know, I, I still don't think this is like them jumping up at the top half of the conference. Mike Gundy is good for one. How did they pull that off? Victory and what the hell just happened? Loss? I feel like we've already had both of those in the first six weeks of the season. <laughs> yeah, which which unfortunately is is comforting for Oklahoma fans in Bedlam, right? Yeah, it never happens in Bedlam. It's, oh, it never, fair. it never, it never survives that late into the season. It always tends to both tend to happen earlier in the year. The win usually comes against like Texas or somebody or Kansas State. 
Well, and Andy, like you said, yeah, I don't, I think it shows Oklahoma state isn't rock bottom of the big 12, but I, that wasn't really what I took away from the game. I took more away from Kansas state losing. I mean, they lost to Mizzou, which Mizzou was ranked. So and not awful. They struggled against UCF and Kansas made UCF look terrible. And then last week watching Kansas state fans cheer for Texas and put down Kansas fans when they lost to the number three school in the nation. I'm sorry. Sounds bad, but I'm kind of happy to see them lose to Oklahoma state this week, take their L's. So I, I'm just, it takes, it takes them away from knocking out Texas or Oklahoma out of Arlington at this point. But I just, I just don't think they're as good as many people thought they were going to be. Well, and and I think the biggest thing here is it, this is much more of a what the heck is going on with Kansas State yeah. um, because, you know, you look at, you know, they struggled. They had some really big errors against Missouri that allowed Missouri to actually stay in that game and win that game with a ridiculously long field goal. Um, but, you know, playing against UCF, like there was a, a ton of people talking about DJ Giddens, you know, and how good he was after he put up that gigantic performance against UCF. But what we came to find out is really just that UCF is that bad with rushing defense. The fact that Kansas can, you know, get 400 yards against them, um, you know, Kansas State did really well against them. Baylor used a lot of the running to come back and against them. UCF is a team that has a big hole in the middle of their defense, and teams are going to exploit it all year long. Exactly. Um, and if you also look at their comparison with the game of Kansas, too, with UCF, I mean, you could say that Kansas State has a lot of people that are injured, right? But at the same time, Kansas is on their backup quarterback, and they made UCF look absolutely terrible. So I don't think that's so much of an excuse. Yeah, I, I just think the biggest takeaway here for me is that this is not the Will Howard that we saw, you know, no. coming in for Adrian Martinez last year. They don't have Deuce Vaughn, who I think is it's a much bigger loss than Kansas State, Kansas State fans were willing to admit or that I even thought it would be. Like, I thought they would actually still be pretty good this year. Yeah. Um, there's a lot that's going wrong with this team. And it's a lot like Texas Tech, you know, three weeks ago where it's like, there's so many things going wrong. What's the biggest thing that needs to be fixed for them to be successful going forward? At the end of the day, and we'll, we need to remind this to everybody, like the big development cycles matter in the Big 12, I think, more than they do anywhere other conference. Like it's just, you cannot expect to have had success last year, lose key pieces to the NFL, and then just replace them and move on. That's not that's not what the Big 12 is. It's not how it works. Um, it is about who is at the top of the development cycle or, and has brought in a few key pieces out of the transfer portal to make them successful and be able to win close games. And so that's what we saw with TCU last year as well as Kansas state last year. And so the idea was that like, well, Kansas state looks like the best team coming back with what we know about them. So that's how we have to talk about them, but it's next to impossible to figure out who those, not next to impossible. It has been consistently kind of surprising to some extent to see some of the teams who've had the spike Maybe we wanted to say that Kansas was one of those teams we should have expected. Was West Virginia? No. So it's just going to be something to just keep an eye on moving forward. I don't think Kansas State's bad. I think it's just you lost a bunch of key pieces, and and Will Howard is not as bad as some Kansas State fans are acting like he is. That was his worst game by far this season. Has he been awesome? No. Has he had way too many turnovers? Absolutely. But he has not yeah. been the only problem for this. There team. are way too many K-State fans calling for Avery Johnson's red shirt to get pulled so that he can play the rest of the year. And it's like, that's not going to fix your problems. There's plenty of other areas that need to be fixed as well for that to be the thing that makes the difference. That's punting on the season a little bit. Yeah, uh, another game with a ton of mistakes. 
Oklahoma 34, Texas 30. Neither team played a perfect game, but damn if it wasn't a good one for Oklahoma. Okay, <clears throat> we're going to talk about a lot of this on the special team show this week. Allowed a fake punt, had a punt block for a touchdown, illegal forward lateral on a kick return trick, a 26-yard punt with illegal formation, and short on a 44-yard field goal. Special teams for Oklahoma. Yee! Not awesome. Got the win, so it doesn't hurt you, but still, like, yee! Uh, again, we'll discuss all of that on the Big 12 special team show this week. For Texas, three turnovers, four shot at the end zone from Oklahoma's one that ended with a turnover on downs, and you then let them turn around and march down the field. Like, Oklahoma had to start at their own two-yard line and still march down the field, which is the worst thing of, like, at least if you're going to pin them at the one, they should have to punt, right? Nope, march down the field. Uh, and playing a sharp and soft defense on OLU's game-winning drive at the end there, just like, I bet John Rice... Not John, I almost said John Rice Plumley. <laughs> Sorry, getting all my UCF fan, uh, f- former quarterbacks. Next thing you know, I'll get forget about uh, uh, Mikey Keene. Letting Dylan and Gabriel just like, okay, easy pass, easy pass, easy pass, easy pass, easy pass, end zone. Still, like, even with all those mistakes, like, they almost made the game more interesting because so much weird things happened. The game was back and forth. It was close. It was exciting. That was an absolutely fun game. If you didn't watch it because you're like, I'm not watching that because forget them. That's fine. I like college football enough to have been like, no, I'm going to turn this on. I want to see what these two teams look like. Also, and I'll talk a little bit more, a few other things here in a minute. Um, y'all, this is not a like, oh, we knew it, Texas. Th- th- this is a good Oklahoma team. Texas got beat by a good Oklahoma team. Like, in, in, in a rivalry game that's always weird and wild and crazy. Oh, by the way, Oklahoma got blasted last year. You think they weren't going to come in with an excellent game plan and understanding how important this game was this year? I bet if we look at the history of Red River, after a team gets smashed by like three or more touchdowns they probably come around next year and win i don't have the data to back that up but i'm probably i feel pretty confident making that that claim that that's probably something that happens a lot so it's still a good texas it doesn't mean that they're not good because it's not like everyone else a bunch of other teams in the conference are as good as oklahoma is this year yeah i mean it's it's very much a give ou a ton of credit in this game like i did not think that the defense was going to be well you know what i take that back because I don't know that I was particularly impressed with either of the defenses. Like this was just your normal Oklahoma, Texas, just everything's going weird. And like, I don't think I've gone into a red river rivalry. Like this is the epitome of right. Nothing. You know, nothing about a rivalry as you know, getting ready for it because last year when Texas just completely walloped Oklahoma, I didn't see that coming. Like I thought, I thought there was a good chance that Texas was going to win because of the quarterback injury situation, but I did not expect a 49, nothing. Um, last year and this year, you know, I thought Texas defense was going to shut down Dylan Gabriel. I thought if anything, this was going to be a Texas was going to shoot itself in the foot offensively, but the defense was going to shut down Oklahoma and we were probably going to have, you know, you know, a 21 17 game or something like that. No, instead, this was just mistakes all over the place. Everybody taking advantage of it. Like this was, I think this was the, um, the quote unquote high quality version of El Asico, right? Where everything just feels like it's going to go wrong. But here it actually looked good and it was very entertaining. Whereas most of the time when everything goes wrong, it's a really boring slugfest where nobody looks good and nobody goes home happy. Yeah, I mean, I think both teams are still one and two solid for going to Arlington out of the Big 12. Um, I know a lot of people had picked Texas for this game. I personally picked Oklahoma. And the arguments that I heard was, oh, you looks good, but they haven't played anybody. And I mean, to be fair, when you look at Texas, they've 
beat Alabama this year, but Alabama also hasn't been as great as they have been other years. And they beat Kansas last week, right? But to be fair, I think Kansas hung in there with them up until the fumble and then they kind of melted down, but they they looked like they could hang with Texas. So I'm not surprised that Oklahoma beat Texas at all. I think Dylan Gabriel is a Heisman level quarterback. And I think they very well might see each other again. And Texas could take the win again at the end of the season. That uh, Texas inability to punch it in from the Oklahoma one, getting four attempts just goes back to the Texas has had an issue all season of wasted opportunities to put up points. I mean, it's, it's been a problem for them. And so it, it can well, be a problem. It's not, it just, might... it's not just putting up points, but in, in short yardage red zone situations, because they struggled with that against Kansas too, in the first half where, you know, they had two drives into the red zone and then everything broke down. And they had to kick field goals. So this has been a Texas issue for a while where when they get into the red zone, everything changes. Like it, it feels like they play a different game offensively in the red zone that they do in between the 25s well you had a first and goal at the 10 in the first half you did you you ended with a field goal with um you had the two interceptions by Quinn Ewers in the first two drives it's just you know mistakes were made and they couldn't do what they'd done in previous games of turning it on in one quarter and putting up you know 14 21 points to pull away so Again, it's isn't a shot at like Texas isn't any good. Ha ha, we told you. Like Texas is still good. Oklahoma is also good. That's okay. Um shout out to Seth Oliveras for this one. Interesting stat. Oklahoma has finished each uh, each of its first six games on an unanswered scoring run. 73 unanswered against Arkansas State, 14 unanswered against SMU, 28 unanswered against Tulsa, 10 unanswered against Cincinnati, 29 unanswered against Iowa State, and then, of course, the final touchdown drive, seven points against Texas. So if you want to beat Oklahoma, don't give them a chance to score at the end of the game, they're going to make you regret it. Um, hey, I'm taking notes for Kansas in a couple weeks. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit. Look, Kansas is now the big 12's final hope. I, I kind of hate having this conversation every week because like, yeah, like I'm not sitting here trying, like I know OU and Texas fans are like, can we, can we stop? Like I get it, but most big 12 fans, this is a big 12 show. Don't want to see red river. And OU and Texas fans are going to be obnoxious when they're in Arlington playing to win the big 12 championship and then leaving for the sec. Like it's just, it is an inevitable situation. It's also going to be kind of annoying. And so like, you have to look at this from like, where, where does OU trip up? Cause OU doesn't have a loss. Now the argument better is like, where does Texas trip up? Cause you know, it's almost like we'd rather have Oklahoma just be like, okay. And Texas lose a few more times. Right. Cause the, the argument was like, we thought Texas would win this game. And then Oklahoma would would lose another time or two. Oklahoma's had to lose multiple times to avoid going, and one of those is probably going to mean somebody beat them and owns a tiebreaker over them. Otherwise, you need Texas to lose again, if not two more times. Not a lot of obvious opportunities for that on the schedule. And of course, you- the Big Twelve the way they set the schedule up, giving both Oklahoma and Texas a week off after Red River was just the dumbest thing possible. And again, another. I don't know who, I I don't know how Oklahoma and Texas got the schedules they did in the Big Twelve for this year, but it's it's something to behold. It really is. Yeah, I'm. It's going to be interesting, you know, the how the how to break the three way tie when you know Kansas, Texas, and Oklahoma have all beaten each other once. So, 
I have to do it like every single week while there's still an opportunity for it. So I, I, well, I, I was appreciate say the same thing. You need you need Texas to lose quite a few games. It can't just be one because right now they have the tiebreaker over Kansas. So if Kansas is going to go, you're going to need Texas to lose again. That's where uh, Iowa State can um, do to Texas what they did to Oklahoma State a little while back. So we shall see. Uh, speaking <laughs> of Kansas, uh, Kansas 51, UCF 22. Um, UCF went from went 55 minutes and 11 seconds of game time without scoring a point between the third quarter against Baylor and the third quarter against Kansas. They went almost a full game without scoring a single point. And luckily they got 22 points in the second half against Kansas this weekend, but they were outscored 60 to nothing during that stretch. I know UCF fans want to blame the coaching um, and they point to look at the talent evaluation, look at two, four sevens talent stuff. Like it says that we're as talented as some of these other big 12 teams uh, and why UCF should be better prepared to face the new big 12 brethren. I, I like to argue that like I get the talent evaluator at two, four, seven, the further down the rankings it goes, the less accurate it becomes. Like it's a lot easier at the top when we're talking about five stars and four stars than everyone who has mostly three. Um, then other things come into play here. To me, if you want to blame coaching, that's fine. I don't think Gus Malzahn forgot how to coach at a power five level just because he's been at UCF for a couple of seasons. I I equate the situation for UCF of being, you are in a power five conference. We can say what you want about the roster. It's not at the level of everyone else in the Big 12. Um, oh, by the way, John Rice Plumley is not playing. You're in a power five conference. Yes, Kansas beat you with a backup. Kansas' offense is difficult to prepare for until you've actually faced it once. We keep talking about this and talking about this and talking about this over like every week now. But you've got a former USF guy as your backup. Like Timmy, Timmy's doing fine. He ain't John Rice Plumley. He's not a Power Five winning games quarterback. He's just not. And oh, by the way, we just talked about it a little bit ago. UCS run defense is garbage. It's bad. You can't oh my stop gosh, the run. Yeah. Like you, uh, I'm making prize picks every week on the over on whoever the starting running back is for the team that's facing UCF, whoever just put the over on that running back right now. I, you can't make it high enough. They're all going to break a hundred points. If you want to blame that on coaching? That's fine. That's probably part of it. But like it's John Rice Pumley and not having a run defense is killing UCF. I mean, it, it was so bad that when we were up in the press box, we were talking about like when, when Dylan McDuffie, right? The third string running back for Kansas came in immediately was like, all right, well, how long is it going to take him to get to 100 yards? And he got 91 yards on the day. Like, that's how bad that rushing defense is. Kansas had 399 yards on the day that Tony Sands was in the uh, was in the stadium, right, being inducted into the Ring of Honor. Um, his, you know, big claim to fame was, well, among other things, you know, like his best game was a 51 rushing attempt, 396-yard um, game against Missouri. Like that's the big thing that he's known for. Um, Kansas, 51 rushing attempts today, 399 yards. Like to have him in the, you know, in the, in the stadium and have a stat line that was so similar for rushing was just ridiculous. I mean, it, it was a, it was kind of a great thing to have happen with him being there, but it really speaks to just how bad this rushing defense is. Devin Neal, you know, ripping off that 75 yard touchdown run the first play of the second half um you could tell that that just kind of really broke what UCF 
was trying to do and thinking that they could potentially get back in the game. Now, granted, they were down 24 nothing at the half, so it's not like they had a really good shot at coming back. But, you know, this is a UCF team that was just on the wrong end of a spectacular fourth quarter comeback. And I'm going to be honest, Kansas fans are used to having spectacular fourth quarter comebacks go against them with some of the, you know, more recent teams. So it, it was it was always kind of in the back of the mind. It's like, that potentially could happen. And then he rips off that 75-yard run. It's like, okay, no, never mind. This is over. They're not going to be able to stop anyone rushing. I saw a lot of people talking about Jason Bean. And, you know, like, can he actually do anything? They, be, they become super one-dimensional when he's in the game. It's like, no, they knew coming in that UCF was horrible at defending the run. So you run, and you run, and you run, and you don't stop running until they make you stop running. You know, they had some really good passes thrown in there to kind of shake things up to make sure that UCF had to stay honest. But they didn't need Jason Bean to pass. He only had 90, I think he had 93 yards passing. I, I haven't done my write-up yet for the statistical stuff. But anyway, like he didn't have very many passing yards. I think he only attempted like 10 passes the entire game because they just didn't need him to. When you can rip off a, you know, 12-yard run at the drop of a hat, you don't need to pass the ball down the field all the time. So, you know, anyone trying to use this game to say that Kansas offense is one dimensional, it's like, no, they're, they're just playing to the game plan. They were just taking advantage of a very serious and a very obvious issue for the UCF defense. And I also think looking at it too, Kansas's defense looked good. I mean, UCF could not move. It was three and out, three and out. Like they couldn't, they couldn't move at all on the field. And I, I also have to go back to this, the fact that this, this also happened with Iowa state when Iowa state had good seasons and was getting better is people are going to underestimate Kansas because they're used to them being the bad team from the past decade, two decades. Like, but you got to understand that's not who they are right now. They're good. They're good. And underestimating them or just thinking that this is going to be basically a bye week for you. That's not, that's not possible. And especially not for these new teams who have not played in the big 12 yet. I think every single game they need to look at as if they're playing like Texas or Oklahoma, they're, they're not used to their opponents. And so I just think UCF honestly looked terrible. And I think this week, even though Kansas played an awful team, I think Kansas looked like they have potential to go to Arlington. I'm glad you said that because I want to kind of take that note and say development cycles that's hitting the peak of it is typically how you get to Arlington and will continue to be moving forward, especially this feels like it would have been a year for Kansas. Like, like I get it. We're still early. There's lots of games to play. Kansas still has, I mean, road game in Oklahoma state, Iowa state, Texas tech, Kansas state on the schedule. We get sunflower, but like this feels like one of those, a, a, the, what should have been maybe a peak point for Kansas on the development cycle to get to Arlington. Unfortunately, Oklahoma and Texas are playing the way they're playing this year. And they get both. They had to go to Texas. They got smashed. They get Oklahoma. Unfortunately, Oklahoma gets a week off, and Kansas is going to have to go on the road before they get Oklahoma at home. So Oklahoma's going to have plenty of time to prepare for that game. No, 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 no. Oklahoma's off this week. Kansas has Oklahoma State. Kansas has a bye next week. That's perfect. Oklahoma play. But Oklahoma plays UCF. So, like, I mean, it might as well be a bye with what we've been talking about. (laughs) The point is, like, it's a big game for Kansas because okay. I mean, that, 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 that is a, that's a must win game. We were really running out. Of, like you can say, well, everyone's got like plenty of games left on the schedule. You're really running out of a lot of opportunities 
because it's not like Oklahoma and Texas are going to lose multiple games moving forward. So you're really running out of opportunities. Um, that one's a big one. And I, and I hate it for Kansas because this does feel like a year where if not for Oklahoma and Texas, we would be talking about Kansas being a front runner for Arlington right now. Uh, we'll just... Right. The best, the best bet that the big 12 has of preventing both Texas and Oklahoma from making it to Arlington is either Kansas or West Virginia just being really hot the rest of the year. Like, I mean, it's, it's one of those two. I've, I've got to see more from West Virginia offense. Oh, agreed. Right. Like yeah. now, Garrett and I, need, and I need him. I need him to beat a team with a winning record. And then we'll, no, that's we'll fair. get there. Garrett Green is back, and the defense is really good, like the better than I thought it was going to be. So they good. have an opportunity, but you're right. Much like we were talking about Oklahoma the last few weeks, we need to see them play somebody who is really good to really see the, how good they are. The difference for Oklahoma was, and we talked about this, opponent adjusted, like they were blowing the teams out. That's fair. Like West Virginia is blocking two field goals to tie the game by TCU to get out of Fort Worth with a win. They're holding steady at the goal line for Texas tech, trying to tie like West Virginia's not blowing people out. Mm-hmm. Like they, 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 and, and you can win close games and have a good season, but like, I've got to see them either, either they've got to get the offense click and they've got to go torch someone for do- double did like two touchdowns in the big 12 or like, well, they do to- have Houston coming up. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that game. Uh, well, yeah. Before- Pending a meltdown for Oklahoma and Texas, I think Kansas has to beat Oklahoma, or they're they're out of it. Right, or it's or it's basically done. Yeah. Uh, the four newcomers are now one and eight in Big Twelve play. Zero oh and eight against the original ten. Of course, BYU's win over Cincinnati is the only one of the original four getting a win. The average margin of defeat for them is basically sixteen points. It's fifteen point eight five points. The closest loss might be the most embarrassing of them all, which is Baylor's 36-35 to win over UCF where they came back from a 35-7 to deficit to get the W in Orlando. It's been a tough start for the newcomers. Um, at this point, like they're all going to get wins at, at some point, but I've been a little, I, I, I've been disappointed. I kind of expected more, definitely from UCF. Again, I just noted not having John Rice Plumley has been a big issue. It just is. Like you, you expected to have him at quarterback, and and you need him. Uh, Houston's been. I mean, we thought they would be good, but they've been worse than expected. Cincinnati, as bad as we kind of thought they might be. Like at this point, BYU's kind of carrying the flag for the newcomers. We're gonna see how they do moving forward, but it's been a very disappointing start to the Big 12 tenure for UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, and BYU at this point. I I will say, though, like, coming into the year, I thought there was a much better chance that all four of them would be at the bottom of the conference than two of them would be in the top half. Just because of how difficult it is to take that step up in in weekly competition. And, you know, you, you talk about the rosters, and, like, recruiting to the American is different than recruiting to the Big 12 in terms of the physicality, the size of the guys that you're typically recruiting. So, I mean, I think that some of these teams have done fairly well recruiting, but it still takes a while to get used to playing these types of teams week in and week out. UCF, I, I think not only the loss of John Rice Plumley, you know, for, for big stretches of the season so far, but I don't think anybody expected their, their defense to have this many problems. So it's like, we thought that maybe something could go wrong and they could struggle and I, I still think that it was probably, you know, I, I probably expected them to be about the middle of the pack, probably seventh or eighth in the conference this year. 
and consider that a pretty good start. But BYU, I think the only team that looks like they could be in the top half of the conference this year, and that's going to require them, I think, to win basically all their home games because they play a lot differently on the road than they do at home. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of people having UCF towards the upper middle or top of the conference at the beginning of the season. I think we all thought they were going to be pretty decent, and they were up until the recent weeks, and now they're absolute garbage. But the other teams, a lot of people had finishing all the way at the bottom. I didn't. I actually thought that they had potential to all reach a bowl game. I thought that they were going to do better than expected. And even in non-con, they looked a little bit better, and now they've just kind of faded into oblivion. Uh, they're they're all struggling. And BYU, like you said, Andy, I think BYU is possibly the one that has the best shot out of all of them. BYU looks good, but then there's other games that they don't look so good. And I mean, I know that I believe Cincinnati right now is favored against Iowa State next weekend. I, I don't agree with that at all. I think at this point, all of them should be at the bottom. If anybody's going to, the best one will be BYU. And I think the best they do is a bowl game finishing in the middle of the pack. Yeah, uh, Circus opening lines had uh, Cincinnati as a five-point favorite this weekend. West Virginia is only a two-point favorite on the road at Houston, which is almost more ridiculous. Yeah, it's weird, too, because Circa only does the one week before, whereas a lot of the other books have had lines already up for over a week. Um, like, I noticed that, like, the the KU, um, the, the Kansas-Oklahoma State line was, you know, Kansas favored by one, but if you went, like, everywhere else, Kansas was favored by four and a half or four. Um, and then the circle line quickly adjusted to, you know, Kansas by three and a half after a couple of people bet. So I do think that there's probably a little bit of weird noise with those initial opening lines. And there's probably gonna be a lot more movement in the circle ones than some of the other ones. But yeah, I'm, I'm baffled by Cincinnati being a five point favorite against Iowa state, even with it being in Cincinnati, if I remember correctly, um, West Virginia, I saw it was like a four and a half favorite over Houston, which still feels really low to me. Like the way that Houston has played, you know, they played a TCU team and didn't score an offensive touchdown. Like, I just don't know how Houston's going to score in that game at all. So. Well, um, and then West Virginia, yeah. honestly, the only game that they've lost was against Penn state at Penn state. Penn state. And, and that was a game where they held on in the second half yeah. a lot longer than most people thought they would. Exactly. It wasn't until like the fourth quarter that, Penn State kind of broke away so I honestly think West Virginia is pretty good and Houston I think is the worst of the new team so having it that close is kind of insane Houston might just be the worst period um <laughs> looking at the updated lines as record this Sunday evening Cincinnati is now down from a five-point favorite to three and a half uh let's see let's see let's see sorry scrolling doing this live Texas Tech still a one-point favorite that's wild um this is great radio uh kansas now a three and a half point favorite uh tcu still at five like the opening line i'm trying to find oh where's houston west virginia it's a weeknight game there it is last i thought was four and a half and that was about two hours ago i see west virginia three or three and a half um from what i'm seeing at the moment so Definitely something to keep an eye on. Of course, we have our picks pod every Thursday uh, with Chris and Daniel. We will have another guest this week. Look, it's been a tough start to the season for the newcomers. One thing that has not had a tough start to the season is Charlie Hustle. Sponsor here on the podcast and for the entire 
Network Effect, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. They're a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. They have absolutely incredible stuff for all the Big 12 teams, except for Cincinnati, I know, but they've got Colorado as well. They launched the helmet tees before the season. They're fantastic. That's what we have been giving away each week. Make sure you are uh, subscribed or uh, follow on Twitter, all the 1012 podcasts, uh, 1012 network accounts. Okay, so you can try to win some Charlie Hustle tees. Uh, with more than 30 schools to choose from, Charlie Hustle has you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. So shop today at charliehustle.com. Use the promo code 101215, T-E-N-1215, for 15% off all non-sale items. First purchase, other purchases. Buy some for you, buy some for family and friends this holiday season. You can make everybody happy with Charlie Hustle. So charliehustle.com, promo code 101215, T-E-N-1215, vintage made fresh. All right, so let's hit these uh, these other two games real quick. Texas Tech 39, Baylor 14. Man, the UCF win really just does feel like a fluke at this point. Reminder, we're, we're calling this we don't want it, this we don't want it weekend. Dave Aranda kicked a field goal with 635 left in the fourth quarter to turn a three-score deficit into a three-score deficit. So I ask you this, folks. Whose seat is hotter right now? Dave Aranda or Dane Holgerson? Dana. Dana by far. I mean, I don't think that Dave just had a great season. He just had a a winning season in 2021. Um, He's done well for Baylor. Whereas you take Dana Holgerson and quite honestly, and I'm not even going to use the, I I don't even like the excuse. Oh, he coaches for Houston. So they're new to the big 12. He needs more time. No, he's coached for also Texas tech, Oklahoma state, West Virginia at different levels. He's been in the big 12. He's familiar with the big 12. So his ability to not coach well in the big 12 doesn't, doesn't make sense. I I think at this point he's been at Houston since 2019. If they can't somehow get a bowl game this year, I think he's out. Whereas I think Dave had a little bit of a slippery slope last year and this year, but with 2021 being so recent, I think he has more time left. Yeah, I think I'm going to disagree here. I I think that Dave Aranda's seat is hotter just because how far and how fast they've fallen. Um, Houston, you know, was, I think, pretty good. But last year they struggled because of, you know, they've they've had roster issues, right? And the the thought process that Houston has been for quite a while, that they're going to get in the Big 12, they're going to be able to start recruiting better, and that they're going to have that success. Um, Baylor doesn't really have an excuse for how bad they are right now. And this is like, it took UCF, stopping playing in the fourth quarter for them to come back and get that win and yeah great give them credit for the fact that they came back and got that win but they have looked awful in basically every single game except for their fcs game against long island university so like they didn't look great in that game well right like like that they didn't look awful though like that's and that's if that's the best thing you can say about them is that they didn't look awful but they didn't look great like I don't know what's going on with this team. I don't know how Dave Aranda does not have this team. And and you can, you can miss me with all of the talk about, oh, well, Blake Shapin was hurt. Doesn't matter. Blake Shapin being healthy in those games probably would not made it much of a difference. Um, this team has multiple problems across all phases of the game. 
you know, and Dave Rand, who's supposed to be like a defensive guru, has had tons of problems with his defense the last few years. So I don't really know where the path is for Baylor to improve at this point. I don't know that Houston is going to improve anymore with Holgerson there, but at least with the way that they've been talking and that transition, they could talk themselves into a path for him to be able to improve that team. I just don't know where Baylor goes from here and how Dave Aranda gets it turned around. Yeah, the vibes are not good in Waco. Uh, congrats to Texas Tech for the win. At this point, your last two wins are over Houston and Baylor, the two worst teams in the Big 12, in my opinion. So I don't know how much to take away from that other than like, hey, you're three and three now and bowl eligibility is not impossible. Uh, I don't have the score for TCU Iowa State. I just know that Iowa State scored a lot of points. Yeah, 27 to 14, and it was actually not even that close, let's be honest. Um, two notes here. First off, uh, shout out to Ray Cartwright of, uh, of Lepton Drinking Club. Uh, his sources say TC quarterback Chandler Morris sustained an MCL injury to the same knee he injured last year. The extent of the injury is expected to be known either later today or tomorrow. I'm going to make a d- bad joke, but I'm going to do it anyways. I mean, things worked out pretty well for TCU last year after Chandler Morris got injured. So maybe this, I, I'm sorry. I regret it as soon as I said it. I regret it as soon as I said it. I do. Seriously though, like things just getting bad to worse for TCU. I don't, uh, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. And I just, not a shot at TCU fans, but like, thank God you got a Bryles there in Fort Worth. Make sure you got that done. That was a good thing for this offense. Very good. Um, I'm done. I'm done. I don't TCU. I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to kick a dog while it's down. I did learn about cookie crisp white Russians on Saturday. And now I know I'm probably too old for this shit, but I need to go to Ames and have one. Cause I don't feel like I could just make one on my own here at the house. Like I need, it feels like something I have to go to Ames. Right. You need to a, have you need a professional. at a tailgate. Yeah. Right. They call Levi or just call the wide right. Now light gang and, and have them hook me up. Um, uh, uh, crazy breakfasts aside is I would say good. They're three and three now. Two and one in Big Twelve play. Rocco Beck's been playing fairly well. I, I don't know if Iowa State is good or not. Like I, I, I cannot get a good read on this team at all. Like they're good. They're, they're three. Like is this just back to the whole like the middle of the Big Twelve is just a a giant bowl of of applesauce. Everyone's just a just a mushy mix of whatever. Like, I don't, I can't, like, I have this feeling that there's going to be a number of bowl teams this year where you're like, it's not that they're good. They just won games against other not good or bad teams. And so here we go. Congrats on six and six. Yeah. I would not be shocked if the big 12 had like six teams that were six and six this year, just because the bottom or, you know, the bottom half of the conference is all taking turns, getting weird wins. So, um, I mean, I think, I think Iowa State has a good but not great defense that can play great at times and an offense that is or good but inconsistent. And I think that's probably the best way to describe them. If they can find, you know, if they can find some holes for their running game or if, you know, Beck can, can uh, you know, string together a few throws, like they can have good flashes, but there's always – just always that chance that things are going to go off the rails real quick. And then it's how fat or how long will it take for them to stabilize it again? So I think this is an Iowa state team that is going to be up and down all year long. 
They're going to have some really good offensive, you know, uh, games where you think, Hey, looks like the offense might be fixed. There are some really good defensive games where you're like, Hey, John Haycock has a, you know, an absolutely dominant defense again. And there's going to be other times like, do they forget how to play football? Because there's just going to be times where they're just going to get like, you know, Iowa state versus Oklahoma was kind of that way for me. Like it looked early, like it was going to be a competitive game that Iowa state was doing what they needed to do. And then the wheels fell off. And so I don't know what I'm going to get from Iowa state the rest of the year. Iowa state is a roller coaster. Cyclone sports in general is a roller coaster. And I got in trouble for saying earlier this year that I thought that they'd finish anywhere from zero to 12 to four and eight. Technically not wrong. They have three wins. If they get four wins, I'm still correct. They need to have five wins to prove me wrong. I think they could, but I also think that they've also gotten lucky with some good conditions. I mean, they had everything in their favor this last, this last week, they had a night game. It was October and they always do well in October. They had the Jack Trice legacy game. It was a home game. Their, their conditions were set up perfectly for them. TCU, I got to say that I I picked TCU to win that game. I thought TCU was actually better than they are. At this point, I think I'm kind of out on TCU. But I don't think that Iowa State necessarily will go and beat a bunch of teams. I think it's going to be little surprises here and there. I think when they're expected to win, they're going to they're going to disappoint people. And when people have finally given up on them, not given up, but don't expect to win, they're going to come back again and pop out and do what they did to TCU. So I just think it's inconsistent. It's it's an interesting thing to watch for Iowa State moving forward, TCU as well. Okay, I put out the, our power rankings for this week. Um, I will put them in order. You guys can tell me where I am wrong. Number one, Oklahoma up a spot. Number two, Texas down a spot. Kansas up a spot to three. BYU up a spot to four. West Virginia up a spot to five. I know West Virginia fans are upset by this still. Uh, all those last three moved up because Kansas State moved down three spots to number six. Iowa State up two spots to seven. Texas Tech up two spots to eight. TCU down two to nine, OSU up two to two ten, UCF down three to eleven, Cincinnati down one to twelve. Hate it when you lose the bye week. Uh, Baylor remains at thirteen, and Houston remains at fourteen. Where am I wrong? I think West Virginia is better than BYU. I think they deserve to be four. I think it's going to be them in Kansas after OU and Texas. BYU, their record looks good, but I don't think they're that great of a team. I think they'll finish middle of the pack I think West Virginia looked like to me it looked like they had a really difficult schedule when I looked at it at the beginning of the year that was before we realized that all the new schools were kind of awful and so now West Virginia's schedule looks like a breeze I think that they have potential to finish the year in fourth I mean it's, it's picking nits a little bit between West Virginia and BYU they're both four and one uh I think they both played okay schedules I think they both win with defense. Uh, BYU wins on offense because of their quarterback. West Virginia wins on offense because of their run game. And so, like, that is absolutely a game when they face off on November 4th that I have circled as very interesting and one to watch. Speaking of games to watch. Sorry, um, I I, I do agree. Sorry, I do agree that uh, West Virginia probably should be one spot higher is where I have them in my in my rankings. But I mean, looking through the rest of that, you know, it's hard to argue who's better between Texas Tech and Iowa State right now. But I think that's kind of like the way the tiers are set up are, I think, pretty good. Like it's but the, the problem is it's hard to actually figure out where these teams should be. 
and how they're actually going to perform from week to week. So um, I don't think there's a lot of problems with the power rankings at all. Um, it's just, it's going to be interesting to see how other people evaluate these teams and how they're able to actually live up to these rankings. It's a big muddled mess. I love mess. All right, let's look to the week ahead to wrap this up as we always do. Five games on the docket for week seven in the Big 12. We got a Thursday night game, West Virginia at Houston. Woohoo! That's a sicko game of the week right there. It just is. Uh, on Saturday, nice, just four games spread out nicely, just like last week. We have Iowa State at Cincinnati at 11 a.m. on FS1. At 2.30, we've got Kansas at Oklahoma State on FS1 and BYU at TCU on ESPN. And then our one-night game, 6 p.m. kickoff, FS1, Kansas State at Texas Tech. Folks, what is your game of the week? And reminder, you cannot pick the game that involves your team. But 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 it's the only ranked game. But no, I understand. Um, look, rules I, are rules, Andy. I know it was just really weird when the I looked. Only thing I'm like, that Wait separates us from the animals. No, no, but it was funny because I looked at the slate this week and I was like, it is really weird that the only game involving a ranked team is Kansas this week in the there's Big only, Twelve. There's only three ranked teams. I know there needs off. to be more ranked teams in the Big Twelve. Is what I'm trying to say. But no, um, the game that's I think the most intriguing to me, um, as much as I hate to say it. Uh, would actually be that Kansas State Texas Tech game, um, and it's not because, like, it's because I want to see which team is worse than I think they are, because that's really what it comes down to for me. Like at this point, West Virginia is going to slaughter Houston. Uh, BYU TCU could be interesting, but if you, th- I mean, the injury to Chandler Chandler Morris kind of takes some of the shine off that one. And so, like, Kansas State is a team that's supposed to be good. Texas Tech, the state, that, or the team that was, you know, the dark horse. Big 12 pit coming into the year, which one of those teams has an opportunity to get back to where they're supposed to be? And which one is, I mean, like, I think this is a must win game for both of these teams. And if I can't pick Iowa state or Kansas, just to, just to be <laughs> fair, <laughs> I'm not picking West Virginia Houston because West Virginia is winning that. Uh, I have to go with BYU TCU. I don't think BYU is as good as you guys think. Um, I think their record makes them look better than they actually are. And TCU, I think TCU is better than they look. And I am about to give up on them after they just lost to Iowa State. But this is this is my final week. I think if they can win this against BYU, then I'll have a little bit of hope for them. But if they lose it, I'm, I'm out on TCU for the rest of the season. I'll take Iowa State-Cincinnati. It's a matchup I've been looking forward to. I'll note this. Houston and Cincinnati are hosting. BYU is on the road at a TCU squad that just lost, potentially lost their starting quarterback. Is this the week that one of them gets a win over one of the original 10? Or are they all still going to be sitting here winless against not each other for another week? I don't, I don't give Houston a shot, but we'll see what happens. I don't know what to expect from Cincinnati other than I know the, the total is pretty low, but I'm probably going to find a way to take the under in Iowa State Cincinnati. And again, BYU on the road at TCU. This is a rivalry renewed. These two teams played in the Mountain West. They didn't like each other when they played each other in the Mountain West. So it's at least an interesting one. I mean, it's a little bit of a rivalry game because they used to face off. Like It doesn't seem like a sexy slate, but it's a very interesting slate of five games. I'm glad there's an 11 a.m. game. The no 11 a.m. game is 
drove me nuts two weeks ago. And I, I, while I don't love only having five, I do appreciate how easy it is to be able to watch these games as someone who wants to cover the Big 12 as a whole and really get a good opportunity to, to see each of these teams individually in a in a matchup like this. And so I, I'm like, I can't pick Oklahoma State, Kansas. It's easily the game of the weekend for the Big 12 because Kansas is five and one, because they, you know, they need another win heading into the bye week. Oklahoma State, I'm not buying last week. We'll see what happens. They're hosting that one. And so it is an interesting collection of games. I've got a lot of questions about these teams in the Big 12, and we're going to have plenty of opportunities, I think, to answer them. Like, we're running out of time to like, well, I don't know yet. You only get 12 data points, folks. For some of these teams, we've got six, and for some, we've got five. It's time to start making up our minds of who's good and who's not. At the end of this week, maybe that's how we'll treat next week is who's good and who's not. And and we're we're you're out of time to try and be like, well, I need one more week to decide. This is all you get. We're done. It's how, it's gonna be you know it's week seven. Everyone will have played six games at this point. You gotta make a decision. You just gotta do it. All right. Uh, very excited for that. We will of course have picks as I mentioned on Thursday. The Big Twelve special team show will be out on Wednesday on YouTube. So make sure to check out all of those. Andy had to bounce, but of course his show is the Rock Chalk Podcast. Covers the Kansas Jayhawks. Brittany is one half of the Big 12 After Dark with Greg Mackey. That show is available in podcast form, typically Wednesdays. The Twitter live space is Tuesday night, so make sure you are following Brittany on Twitter. Brittany, hit the handle. It's at BRI, and there's double I, so two I's, two T's, and two Y's, R-O-S, two E's. Uh, if you follow the 1012 network, T and the number 12, the word network, uh, we will retweet that link. You'll be able to check it out. Uh, look, fans of the show, fans of the network get to hop in quite often. Share yeah. their thoughts. It's a good show. If you missed it, don't worry. You can check it out in podcast form afterwards. Brittany, you and Greg doing a great job there. Appreciate you uh, being part of the network. Of course, you can find every show on the network at 1012network.com. T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. Go check them all out. I know you're going to have some great stuff from everybody this week. I know Raspy Voice Kids will be fun. I know Scott and Holman are going through it. I bet you the Hype Train Podcast is going to be feeling it. Uh, Frogs up. How you doing? We'll get details about the quarterback situation this week. So make sure you're checking out every show whether it covers your team or the team you're facing. We'll be back on Thursday. Y'all, have a good week. We'll talk to you then. Sports Social Podcast Network.